Scripture this morning is found in the book of 1 John. If you go all the way to Revelation and you turn back a couple of pages, you'll find 1 John. Our scripture is in chapter 5. We will begin reading in verse number 13. Let me solve a moral dilemma for some of you beginning right now. Let me, let me go ahead and solve this for you. Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, well, I want to come to church tonight, but it starts at the exact same time as the Super Bowl comes on. Church starts at 5.30 and so is the Super Bowl. Let me solve that dilemma for you. Our youth are having a Super Bowl watch party. So you come on if you want to. go If you can climb three flights of stairs and bring a snack going up with the youth and watch the football game, and that way you could say tomorrow, well, that Super Bowl was on, but I went to church anyway. Amen? See? That's, that's, what, uh, that, hey, that's what I got a degree for, to solve those dilemmas for you. All right. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse number 13. Let's read these verses together. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? This is the Apostle John writing. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Father, bless the reading of your word. Father, bless the preaching of your word. And Father, bless us to hear and to open our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are two groups of people in, the, in, in our nation today who are looking for assurances because there's a big game tonight over in Atlanta. And one team is assured that they're going to have victory because uh, the New England Patriots believe they'll have victory because they have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. The Los Angeles Rams believe that they are assured of victory because they have Jared Goff and Todd Gurley. Now, at the end of the evening, one of those teams' assurances is not going to be as good as the other teams, right? Somebody has to be a winner. But God has allowed us through his word this morning, to know this, that we can be assured of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the title of our sermon this morning is, Can I Be Sure of My Salvation? John is the writer here, the Apostle John is writing. He's finishing up his first epistle, and he has given great instruction. If you want to go back and read something really good, read the book of 1 John. But he's given some great instruction as to how to live the Christian life and how to love your brother and how to live in the light. And at the end of this epistle, he concludes by doing this. He wants the reader to know that they can know for certain and that they can have assurance of their salvation. John has great authority in writing this 
we see, um, as we look at our first point here, have I placed all of my hope for eternity on Jesus? That's a question that we ask as we look at this, this question this morning about our salvation. We know that John has great authority to write about this subject because John had a very special relationship and a very special experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about John, a lot of times we describe him as John the Beloved, the Beloved Disciple, the one who was closest to Jesus. Many times we see that Jesus had three of the twelve that he was very close to, or part of his inner circle. That was Peter, James, and John. In John chapter 19, verse 27, as Jesus is there on the cross and his mother Mary is there watching the crucifixion, Jesus gives instructions to the apostle John. He says, Behold your mother. And from that moment on, John took the mother of Jesus. He took Mary into his household, and he began to take care of her. So we see that John's gospel is the most intimate and personal of the four gospel accounts. A lot of times with new converts, what we do is we encourage them. We used to have copies of just the gospel of John that we would give them, and we would encourage them to read the gospel of John as many times as they possibly could to get to know Jesus in a personal and intimate way, the way that John had written about him. So we see the, the great uh, intimate relationship and personal re relationship that John had with Jesus in the way that he writes. John says these words in the beginning of this uh, first uh, book of John. In 1 John 1, 1 through 4, he says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with the, his son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John said, I know Jesus in a very personal way. I have heard him. I have seen him. I witnessed his great miracles. I saw his, I'm a, a, a personal account of his resurrection, and it completes my joy to be able to tell you all the things that I know about Jesus. That's wonderful that he took the time to do that for us. Now, John has a specific person, uh, has a specific purpose in writing these words that he says to us. We look back in verse number 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants us to have assurance of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the doctrine of assurance that we look at uh, in our own personal life as a believer. Now, what is an assurance? An assurance is a promise. An assurance is a bond. An assurance is, is something that between two parties that is said we won't break that and we, you can have faith in that. Now, here's what God knows. God knows that we are more fruitful Christians if we are assured of our relationship with Jesus. 
if we're assured of our relationship with Jesus, if we have peace of mind in our relationship with Jesus, Jesus knows that we are a more fruitful Christian and we are a more useful Christian to us. I look at examples in our own life of assurances. When a, when a pastor, uh, become, when, when a man becomes a minister, he knows that uh, if he's serious about it, he knows he's not going to get rich. He knows that he's, uh, he's, he's a pastor, and, and that's just a part of it. And when I came to pastor this church um, and, and, uh, in November of 2013, I became the pastor, and one of the assurances that our church gave to me was put to me like this. Michael, we're going to give you good health insurance for your family, and, and it has a twofold purpose. One is it takes care of you, and two, it takes care of us. If we, if we give you good health insurance and you have a, an accident or you have some major surgery or you have something major catastrophe in your life, then you know you have the assurance that you're taken care of and you don't have to sit up at night worrying about it and you don't have to try to find other ways to, to make ends meet on those things. And we as a church then have an assurance that your mind is on what it's supposed to be on and we don't have to come back and try to help you with those things. Now that sounded real good to me, and I thought that sounds nice. But it didn't mean as much to me until I needed it. Until Bree had major health complications. And until we had to go to places like the Mayo Clinic, and we had to have major surgeries, and we had all those things, and I would get those bills in the mail. You ever got those bills? And you look at that top up there, and it, say, it has this big, huge number, and your heart drops to your shoes. But then you look, and it says there what the insurance covered. And you have that assurance there that everything's going to be all right, that you're not going to have to sit up nights worrying about what you're going to do, and, and the church is not going to have to worry about what I'm going to do. And all. There was an assurance for both of us there. Now, there's that type of assurance in my relationship with Jesus. There's all kind of promises in this book. There's all kind of promises. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I'll go with you to the end. Jesus gave all kind of promises about our relationship and about how close we were going to be. Now, when I became a Christian, I began to read those. I thought, man, that sounds good. That's really, that's really nice. But then I needed them. But then there was, then there was catastrophe. Then there was all kind of things that might happen. Then there were situations that I would get in, and I would go back and I would read those promises, and those promises became so real to me at that time. Jesus wants us to have an assurance of our salvation. He wants us to have an assurance of our relationship with him. We better serve God when we have that assurance. And we know that God can give us, can give a believer genuine assurance. Here's some questions that we ask as we look at these scriptures and we look at our own lives and we look at our relationship with Jesus and we look for this assurance. One of the first things we ask is, do I have a present trust in Jesus Christ? The most famous verse in all of scripture is John 3.16. And John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. By doing what? 
by believing in him. Here's what we here's what we know. What do we believe about Jesus right now? As we ask ourselves, do I have a present trust in Jesus Christ? We ask ourselves this question, what do I believe about Jesus right now? Do I believe that he was a good man, that he was a prophet, that he was a teacher? Or do I believe what the Bible says? Because the Bible says specifically that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Jesus lived a completely sinless, spotless life, that Jesus was the only substitute who could go for you to a cross, that Jesus went to that cross, that he bled and he suffered and he died, that his blood was shed for your sins, and that he was buried in a tomb, and then after three days he was resurrected, and then later he ascended into heaven. And then the most important thing that we believe is that Jesus is the only way to heaven and eternal life. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except through me. Wayne Grudem is a theologian who wrote these words when, when asking this question. He said this, Do I today have trust in Christ to forgive my sins and take me without blame into heaven forever? Do I have confidence in my heart that he saved me? If I were to die tonight and stand before God's judgment seat and he were to ask me why he should let me into heaven, would I begin by thinking of my good deeds and depend on them or would I without hesitation say that I am depending on the merits of Christ and am confident that he is a sufficient savior? That's the end of the quote. What Wayne Grudem says there is, it's not about my works, it's not about my good deeds. Someday I will stand before the Lord in judgment. He will not look at me as a pastor. He will not look at me as a minister at that moment. What he will look at me is he will look to see and know as my faith and trust completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ or was my trust in my, in my pastoring or my church membership or anything else other than him is what he's concerned with. And when I stand there someday, I will be able to say, Father, I am here because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and my trust in him. Now, look at what John didn't say. John didn't say, I write these things to you who prayed a prayer many years ago. John's emphasis here is on the present faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this present faith in Christ stands in contrast to the practice of some testimonies where people repeatedly recite details of a conversion experience that may have happened 20 or 30 years ago. If a testimony of saving faith is genuine, it should be a testimony of faith that is active to this very day. Now here's what I believe in the eternal security of the believer. I believe that with all my heart. But here's what I also believe. I believe that if we have genuine saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's some evidence of it. I, I believe that some, when I go into a home and I sit with someone and I talk to them about their salvation, and they tell me, well, yeah, I, 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 I prayed a prayer, you know, when I, was a, when I was a little kid, but from that point on, there's been absolutely no desire in their heart to attend church. There's been absolutely no desire in their heart to be discipled. There's been absolutely no desire in their heart to, to live 
alive for Jesus. There's been absolutely, as, as they grew and, and, and they may have attended church and they've heard no absolute, absolutely nothing that would point back and say there's some fruit that's been produced there. There's a problem there. And we need to go deeper with that person and seeing if there is a, a, a saving faith in, in the day that we're talking to them. Now, John says here, my whole existence and my whole faith rest in the fact that I know Jesus as Savior. I knew Jesus from being in his inner circle. I knew Jesus from walking with him here on earth. But most importantly, I know him as Savior, and I have given my life to him, and I believe who he said that he was. And it leads us to this thought, do I have a new nature? Do I have a new nature? God changes us when we have trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're struggling with something that you to pray about, every morning take 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and pray and, and repeat those words and pray, Lord, help me to represent the new in my life today. Help me to represent who you have made me complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in Luke 9, 23. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and die daily, and what? And follow me. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, uh, I will kill the old, I will crucify the old man and he will die, and the desires of that old man should die with him. Now there's two doctrinal concepts that we look at here when we talk about the assurance of salvation. At salvation, we experience this. We experience justification. Justification is this. It is the declaration that a person has been restored to a state of righteousness in God's sight. When I come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when I ask forgiveness of my sins and I repent of those sins and I acknowledge Jesus as who he is, as Lord and Savior, I have been justified in the sight of God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw me, so that when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. That's a wonderful thought this morning to know that when Jesus was on the cross, he was my substitute, and God saw me there, and now when, because of my faith in, 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 God, in, in Jesus, when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see the sinful person that I was, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here's what happens when we become justified. God immediately wants us to become a part of the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. It is what we should strive for. When we become a Christian, we should strive to live a life where we grow further and further away from the sinful person that we used to be and more and more like Christ in our actual everyday life. We should pray every day. We should be students of God's Word as often as we can. 
we should attend church and we should be around other Christians and we should put ourselves in places where we're being discipled and where we're learning more about the Lord Jesus Christ. God immediately wants us to do that and to be a part of that. Now there's evidence. There's evidence that we can look for and see in our lives to know if we have a new nature. First of all, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit changing my heart? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23 speak of it this way. When, they talk, when Paul talks of the, whole, uh, of the fruit of the Spirit, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When we are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is evidence of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts. Here's some questions that, that we can ask about. Do I sense these things in my heart? Do I know that I have love and joy and peace? Do I know that I have gentleness and self-control? Do I know these things about me? Am I able to point to myself and say, these are things that are evident in my life? Not long ago, when I was in a deep spiritual struggle, I sat down and I read these verses to Bree. I told you this on a Sunday morning not long ago. I read these verses to Bree. And I said, Bree, you've known me all the I said, where, I am, where am I with these right now? And she said, you need some work. You need some work. And I had to pray over those things because I have a relationship with the Lord and these things should be evident in my life to those who are closest to me. And here... Have I been growing in these things over a number of years? Now, when I became a Christian, I remember taking one of those spiritual gift tests. You ever taken one of those? And by, I, you, 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 you take this test and you, based on Scripture, and I can remember I had just become a Christian, and mercy was one of the spiritual gifts that was listed on there. I had asked, that was my lowest, and it was not only low, it was low by a long way. It was so low, I thought, well, I must be the person down at, uh, at the, the prison that flips the switch on the, on the electric chair. But guess what? As I have grown in my relationship with the Lord, and as I have had to have mercy extended to me, guess what has grown in my life? Mercy. Mercy has grown. Are these things evident in our lives, and are we growing in these things in our lives? And we look... <clears throat> In our new nature, what type of influence do you have on others and on the church? Some people profess to be Christians, but their influence on others is discouraging. It drags them down. It injures their faith. It provokes controversy, and it provokes divisiveness. A person who is constantly filled with negativity or gossip or who's working behind the scenes uh, in the church to to, to, to hinder the work of the gospel or to hinder ministries in the church. These are people who should look at their lives and say, I have a serious problem. And here's what you'll notice about these people. They're the same people at work. They're the same people in any club or organization or school or whatever they're involved in. They're that same person there that they are in the church. But here is what to look for as a growing Christian, on the other hand, or if we are building people up in our conversations. If we are praying prayers that build people up and that lift people up, if every work of ministry that we're involved in 
We are involved in it because we are wanting to lift people up and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. And we know that that's evidence of the Holy Spirit changing our heart. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 20 that we will be known by the fruit that we produce. And then there's this in our relationship as we see evidence of the Holy Spirit changing our heart. Is there a long-term pattern of growth in my Christian life? Look at verse number 18 in chapter 5 there. Um, John says this at the end. He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on what? Does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Here's a good way to know if the Holy Spirit is changing your heart, sin disgusts you. Sin will absolutely disgust you. In Job chapter 1, it was, Job was described this way. He was described as a man who hated sin. Now we think of our lives, we think in terms of we shouldn't hate anything, but the Bible gives us clear instruction that we are to hate sin. If you've seen the disgusting things that have been on the news this week, about the life of a child and the complete disregard and the complete evil surrounding the birth of a child and the late-term abortions that some states are now enacting and making law. It is evil, and we should not only speak against it, we should pray against it, we should, we, we should do everything to, in our power to stop this evil that's happening in our world. But sin will disgust us. It will become disgusting to a believer. When our faith is genuine, we find that our desires change. We replace those old desires with things that are pleasing to God. I don't want to go some of the places that I used to go. I don't want to see some of the things that I used to say. see. I don't want to say some of the things that I used to say. I don't want to be a part of the sin that I used to be a part of. The great, um, the great pastor Adrian Rogers said it this way, I sin all I want to, I just don't want to. And that should be the attitude of the believer. It should be one of where we are wanting to grow in the things of God and grow closer to Him through sanctification and to grow further away from who we used to be. Simon Peter gives us this advice in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Go back this afternoon and sit down with 2 Peter chapter 1, 5-7. through 7. And pray that God would grow you in each one of those areas. When we see we are growing in these things, it implies that we have an assurance of salvation. And that, that assurance, guess what? I'm assured this morning, but 20 years from now, if God allows me to live, I'm going to be even more assured through my relationship with Him 20 years from now than I am right now. I have more assurance now than I did 20 years ago because I have walked with Jesus consistently during this time. So can you know for sure? And can you have assurance? 
I want to end my sermon this way, and I want to begin my invitation this way. I want to share a testimony. I'm not going to ask these fellows to speak, but I want two guys to come here this morning, and I want to share a testimony for them. Y'all come right here. This is Sloan Smith and Bryson Ingram. You may know them. Several months ago, I want to show you how the dots connect here. Several months ago, Darby began to put together a winter conference for our youth. And Dar I challenged Darby before she did to put together, to take them somewhere where they were going to be challenged by the Word of God and they were going to see testimonies of people. I didn't have to really challenge Darby. I knew what Darby was going to do. But Darby picked a place where they would go to where they would hear the Word of God and be challenged by it. Well, it got in Sloan Smith's heart. And it began to deal with him. And it began to work on him. Wednesday evening at 10 o'clock, as I always do it went on at 10 o'clock at night, I propped up on my pillows, I put on my recorded episode of Gunsmoke, and I was in for the evening. At 10.15, I got a text message. said, Coach Smith. At 10.15, it said, are you up? And I immediately looked at Bree and said, Bryson's in trouble. And I said, yes. And Coach Smith sent me a text back, and he said, I'm on my way there. And I said, Bree, it's bad trouble. And so I yelled for Bryson, and I asked him, what have you done? And he began to say, he said, I ain't done nothing, Daddy. I promise. But Steve sent me a message. He said, Sloan and I are on our way. I said, boy, whatever he's done, he's done it to Sloan, Bree. But here's what happened. Coach Smith and Sloan came into my living room, and Coach Smith said to me, he said, Michael, I'm going to let Sloan, as a mature individual, I'm going to let him speak for himself. And Sloan began to tell me that over the last month or so, that God had really been dealing with his heart about his salvation. And he told me that when he was a boy, when he was young, that some other boys and he went forward, made a decision, and he told me, he said, I didn't understand what I did that day. And, and I told him about God's mercy and how merciful God was to let him know through the Holy Spirit that he needed to make it right. And so I shared with Sloan, who I, like I would anybody else, I went through some scriptures and I told Sloan exactly what I would tell anybody else about who Jesus is. And I asked Sloan, Sloan, do you, what I've said there, do you believe that all these, that this is who Jesus is. And he said, yes. And so I asked him from everything that I've said right there, I said, Sloan, I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to pray from your heart right now, and I want you to tell God everything you've told me. And he did. And Coach Smith and I sat with Sloan for about 15 minutes, and we counseled with him, and we talked to him, and they got up to leave, and Bryson came in the room, and he told Coach Smith and Sloan goodbye. And they left, and as they left, Bryson asked me, can you sit down? And I said, yeah. And he said, I need to talk to you about some things. And we talked about some matters in our life that are between us. And we talked about some hard things. And it led me to the point of asking Bryson this question. Bryson, are you in the same place that Sloan was in a few minutes ago? And he told me, yes. I, he, said, I, he said, I don't know, Daddy. I just don't know. And I challenged him. I said, Bryson, will you make me this promise? 
Will you promise me that you will begin to pray now and ask God to reveal to you and let you know if you are assured of your salvation? And he told me he would. And I embraced him. He was still sitting down and I was standing up. And I embraced him and I held him. And as I was holding him, I was praying, God, open his eyes, please. And as I began to pull away from him, Bryson said these words to me, I want to know now, Daddy. And so I took and did the same thing with Bryson that I did with Sloan. I told him exactly who Jesus is and exactly what Jesus has done for him and exactly what his relationship could be with Jesus. And then I challenged him to ask for forgiveness of his sins and repent. And he did. Now I want to tell you something. Coach Smith could have easily said, it's 10 o'clock at night. And I don't want to, I, and he could have easily said to Sloan, Sloan, we'll deal with it. I'll call Brother Michael in the morning and we'll talk to him and we'll set up an appointment. But Coach Smith has been a Christian since he was eight years old and he told, he, he knew the Holy Spirit inside of him said, this can't wait till tomorrow. It's got to do, be dealt with tonight. When the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, deal with it then. Don't put it off. Because Coach Smith was sensitive and because Sloan was obedient, not only is Sloan's name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but Bryson's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life also. <laughs> neither one of them are, were perfect before, neither one of them will be perfect afterward. I've already had to get on to him this morning for, or for sleeping too late. But I can tell you this, with your prayerful support and your encouragement, they can be what God has in store for them and want to be. Y'all sit right there. Sparks, you come up, Sparks. Come up here with them and help them with this decision. I want to challenge you this morning. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you repented of those sins? Have you turned from those sins? And do you believe everything that I said about Jesus just a few minutes ago? You may have been a church member for umpteen years. That's not what God's going to ask you about. God's going to ask you about what you did with his son Jesus. I told Sloan when, when Jesus was on the cross, God looked down at him and he saw Sloan Smith. He didn't see G he saw Sloan Smith because that's who Jesus died for. Jesus died for you. I want you this morning to search your heart and to know for sure. These two, these two boys are, are high school students. It took great courage for them to stand here this morning, but when I asked them, both of them immediately said yes. The first thing that Bryson did after I, I led him to the Lord, the first thing he did was begin to text people and tell them that he had become that he'd been saved. He texts Wesley. He woke everybody. He woke uh, all kind of people up to let them know. Are you saved? That's the that's the question this morning. Are you saved, Darren? Would you come, Father? This morning there are people here in this this sanctuary who need to follow in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, who need forgiveness of their sins who need to repent of those sins, and who need to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives.
Father, give them the courage, give them the boldness this morning to step out to come here this morning. I'm here. I will counsel with them. I'll pray with them. There's others here who would do the same. Father, whatever we need to do this morning, maybe someone needs to come and pray for someone, whatever it is, give us the boldness and the courage to take care of it today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand, this invitation is open. If you need to know Jesus, there's no better time than right now.